Good day, everyone, and welcome to Andy Mixtape. Today, we are joined by HB. How's it going, HB? Hello, I'm doing fantastically well. Hell yeah. And yeah, we're just going to get right into it. Uh, our mutual game for today is going to be Signs of the Sojourner, which is a deck building card game that is narrative based that is also i forgot the other word i was going to use but yeah it's a narrative card game about like having conversations with people while you're on a little road trip mm -hmm. it's also about running a store so in a sense oh yeah that too about, that too it's about capitalism yeah, at the end of the world. Because it's kind of like post-post-apocalyptic. It's like in the period yeah. where clearly like fucked up shit has happened in the past, but people seem to be like on the mend and like kind of building societies back. And well, it's not that they're building them, it's that they've already built them. Yeah, they just I guess they just kind of seem some of depending on where you go, some of them are seem more like transient than others. But yeah, it's like it's people have built like new cities and are reestablished and your little like village area is kind of facing getting wiped off the map literally because mm -hmm. uh you're part of a caravan that trades goods throughout this whole area and the caravan leader Nadine basically thinks that the village is not going to be worth continuing to visit since your main character's mom died and she was the one who was running the local general store yeah. Um, and so your whole shtick of this is basically deciding that you are going to take over running the store and doing the caravan route to get goods, uh, to basically prove to Nadine that you can handle it and that she should keep the village on her route. Yeah. Because otherwise the town will die. Yeah. Basically the economy of your town is on the verge of collapse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's very much, like, small-town, like, middle America shit, except in the post-apocalypse, where it's like, yeah, if 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 this one line of income goes away, like, your town is gonna be fucked. Yeah. Like, in many ways, because all of the good, because everybody in your town depends on outside goods in one sense or another. Not just mm -hmm. you, who, like, runs the general store, but also, like, other people will ask you for stuff like, oh, you know, I'm, I I run a bar, I need some pickles, or I run a bar, or I run, like, uh, or maybe your sibling is gonna be like, uh, I wanna, I wanna, you know, I wanna do, like, music, but there's no instruments in this town. I, mm -hmm. I have, like, a plastic recorder, and if I go out on to, if I go out on the stage like that, I'll, I'll be fucked. <laughs> I'll be ruined. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like your whole town is relying on you for this, and you are, like, a teen. Yeah. You're like a, you're like a teen, but sort of like a, uh, one of the very funny things that this game does is that you play a teen, but what exactly your teen is like, like, there's no direct speech coming from your teen. Because the entire game is based around the conversations you have with other people, and this is done through the card system. It's like a little card game you play, and uh, if you succeed at the card game, you, you know, are charming or appropriate and, like, you know, believable. And if you fail, then, you know, you've said something wrong, and people tell you to fuck off. Yeah. Um, and that works basically, like, you have uh, your own, like, deck that has... I think you start out with two symbols, um, yeah. and then as you travel around you and meet more people different areas will have speech cards with new symbols or like cards that'll have two symbols on one card um and so as you kind of travel you pick up these different linguistic things from the people you meet and so it makes it like interesting to see how the conversations shift because you have to match the symbols to people's cards in order to succeed through the conversations. Um, so depending on what symbols you pick up, that can make things easier or more difficult. Um, and it's really interesting to have that mechanic 
be so effective narratively in showing like how the traveling is actually affecting your character. Yeah. There's a so how this essentially works is that you lay down the card, your opponent lays down the card. Well, not your opponent, your conversation partner. You're not, it's not exactly an oppositional game because they also want to match up with your cards because everybody wants to be nice to each other on some level or another. They're just sometimes, you know, really bad at it or assholes or don't share your uh, values. So there are four suits of symbol in the game, uh, in, in the game in general. There's like the two you start with, which are uh, circles, which are emotional observant triangles which are logical and diplomatic there's i want to say squares which are direct and forceful mm-hmm. and rhombo and, ro- and rhomboids which are creative and industrious and eventually yeah. you'll unlock a fifth one but that's going to be but that's a that's a little funny surprise the game lays, <laughs> lays out for you later yeah that's a little twist that's a little twist for you when you've become like a you've become the powerful hustle grinder you think you are the game is going to yeah. throw you a fifth symbol to be like you ate shit you don't yeah. know anything. Yeah, you're a teen. You're a little teen. And also, because these are geographically keyed, the whole map uh, exists on a gradient where these symbols change out, usually one at a time. And mm-hmm. But of course, the problem is, is that not every person in the town is from that town. And there are other people who travel who are going to be carrying other symbols along the way, so... and. Every time you finish a conversation, you never have a situation where your deck is unchanging. Now, there are certain good cards that you're going to want to keep, but every conversation changes out one of your cards. That's just how the game works. So you are going to be a very different person at the end of your, at the end of your journey compared to the start. And you just kind of have to keep thinking about, uh, is this a good card to be taking away from my partner? Is this like, am I learning how to be a nice person from the person I'm talking to? Or am I learning how to be an asshole? Especially if you pick up a, especially if you pick up a card that's like, uh, okay, I'm going to switch from this symbol to the next symbol. I'm going to change the topic here. And that can often backfire because sometimes your opponent is not going to have cards to match that. Yeah. That's the other cool thing about this game, too, is, like, sometimes with the way that your symbols pan out and, like, the way that your deck pans out, especially when you return to your home after going on the caravan route, um, it's not always that, like, even that people are, like, angry at you or, like, you're angry at them or, like, it's not always necessarily, like, like aggression or, like, being a dick, but, like, sometimes, like, people just can't understand you anymore because you've like had different experiences than them and they just like can't meet you where you're at now which is really cool especially like elias who is is elias your friend or your sibling uh he's your i think he's your sibling is the situation there where he's like uh he's like your little brother who stays in town while you go out wandering he's like the you know uh slightly more emotional less reliable uh sibling this uh, the sort of mainstay of this type of game he wants to play music yeah he wants to play music he wants to work at the coffee shop he wants to he wants basically normal things that you will still resent him he wants to be a hipster he wants to work at the coffee shop play music bye yeah he wants to be post-ironic in the post-apocalypse yeah by the time you come back to him, he's like, you know, he still has, like, those two symbols, like some kind of scrub while you've been hustle grinding out, out in the wastes. And uh, you're also completely fucking exhausted from your journey. You've gained fatigue cards that replace your original symbols. And if you mm-hmm. play one of those, and by the end of, like, a sufficiently long journey, especially if you didn't plan well, you might have, like, seven or eight of them out of your total of 20 cards. <laughs> It's yeah. so like fully half of your half of your hand is going to be fatigue cards. Yeah, and those just don't match with anything. So, yeah, you, if you put one out, it's automatically like a merk. Yeah, it's actually two mismatches. Is usually is the fucked up thing. Oh god, that's true, huh? Because it doesn't match with the previous card, and then when the and then when the, your opponent takes their turn. They are going to play, and they also can't match your fatigue card. It'll give you two mismatches, and that's that's enough to torpedo mini-conversations immediately. Yeah, which is the cool dynamic of, like, the idea that, like, you come back and, like, you are not, your social battery has nothing, and so you're just, like, 
not able to communicate well and like not able to like maybe you're being kind of testy maybe you're being kind of an asshole like maybe you're being short like there's just so many things that that can communicate and it's just really cool yeah it's not it's not that you're being testy or an asshole those are value judgments you're being direct and forceful (laughs) (laughs) in telling your brother to fuck off yeah which uh you know can you know some people maybe take that as you being an asshole yeah it's just it's just it's just a really it's just a really elegant and slick system that's one of the best designed Mm -hmm. games i've ever played like just uh like just if you if you just take the systems that are working here this game is incredible there's like yeah like they thought of everything it feels like yeah it's very very thorough yeah, they even have special mechanics that you attach to cards, so as you develop your deck, what's going to happen is that you'll get, for example, cards that duplicate whatever your whatever your previous, uh, whatever your opponent played. You get cards that, you know, absorb the elements of, uh, absorb the elements of your conversational partner, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you can just, you can just really, you can just really get into, like, pretty insane stuff as you keep going. Yeah, there's a ton of uh, dimension to the systems, even though it seems like pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's uh, so. We talked about the caravan before. Uh, there's an interesting thing in this game where the caravan, unlike many games where the caravan would probably, you know, go to places. Uh, uh, usually, when the game presents you with something that's like the done thing. It tends to be like, oh yeah, but here's the ways in which it's suboptimal. Not exactly the case in Signs of the Sojourner. The uh, the caravan genuinely goes most everywhere useful you would want to go. Mm-hmm. And it also it also goes to those places like uh, in a way where you have a pretty good we have pretty good odds of uh, changing out all your cards in time to get in. So you don't necessarily you don't ne- there is a good argument to be made for sticking with the caravan even if there's lots of interesting stuff off the run, and you know, uh, Nadine the caravan runner really hates it when you don't stick with the caravan. <laughs> she is yeah. very displeased about that. She's like, uh, we only got room on this caravan for people who stick with the caravan. But you know, sometimes the hustle grind is too strong. Sometimes you got to do it. Yeah, especially because like. When you do branch off from the caravan, it doesn't like you pretty quickly learn that like there's a reason that the caravan does the route it does. Yeah, it's just a good route. <laughs> they they have it right. Mm-hmm. This is where all the cool towns are. <laughs> Most of the other ones don't really have that much going on. Especially if you like go to one of the towns that's off the road, they often they often go like, "Oh, you're like a trader." Damn, maybe the caravan will stop here, and you know this is this isn't that green of a town. They're never gonna stop here, but maybe you can score like some fruit here or something. Yeah, which is by but the way is... what this game is about. Like you are the reason you're talking to all of these people and you're trying to please them and trying to like find a find common ground with them is so they give you stuff and trade you for stuff. If you don't do that, you're not gonna get much stuff. Yeah. You you gotta get them pickles. Yeah. You need the pickles. The bar's the bar's fate hinges on it. Who cares if you have to like mess around with uh, with tw- with like two asshole twins who just can't get along with each other? The pickles are necessary. As distinct from the kimchi. Right. The kimchi you get from a different asshole. <laughs> There's a lot of uh fermented vegetables in this game. But to, but to get those pickles, you need to get vinegar. <laughs> and to get vinegar, you have to deal with a bitchy old man. Yeah. A bitchy old man and the robot who works for him. And his brother. Yeah. But yeah, in, in this game, as you go on, you don't have to just deal with bitchy old men and uh, strange people you meet along the way. You also have to meet, like, uh, you also have to meet with various challenges. The first is that, uh, you know, in the first few trips, your main opponent is going to be fatigue. 
where you just get super tired. You get tuckered out. You're not used to travel. But then mm -hmm. you get a dog, and the dog helps you with fatigue. But then, uh, midway through the game, a fifth emotional card gets opened up, which is distressed and grieving. <laughs> and it just shows up now and fucks up your conversations, despite the fact that you now can deal with fatigue much more effectively. And then by the end of, uh, like, the game has five journeys in all, and by the end of the fifth, like, the fifth is the final victory lap, where you just go around, get as much stuff as you want, and uh, basically decide what your fate is going to be. By, you know, uh, depending on who you made friends with, when you made them when you made friends with them, and what you eventually did for them. And, yeah, it's it's just a... It's it's a very nice amount of trips, too. It feels like you get everything done by the end, by the end there. It, did, it absolutely didn't need to be longer than this. And then also... Would have would have felt a bit uh, would have felt a bit bad if it was shorter than that. Yeah, I think they definitely nailed the number of like loops that you end up doing. Yeah, and of course, throughout you're looking at very cute art. Nobody has any noses. There's uh, there's some nice music you got you have to deal with, and uh, the bitchy old men are extremely charming, as are all the other bitchy people you run into. <laughs> This this game is like so many assholes in it. I love it. Such a variety, such a bouquet. There's robots sometimes. Yeah, it's very good. It's so good. Yeah, game good. If you haven't played this, play it. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you care about, like, the way that narrative and game mechanics interact with each other in a game, like, this crushes that. Yeah, absolute masterclass. So, yeah. I think that's everything I got on it. Yeah, that's all I have, too. Um, so, with that, HB, what's your first U game? Well, speaking of uh, speaking of terrible economies, the banished vault, mm -hmm. which comes from mm -hmm. the distant year of twenty twenty three, it's a strategy game by Lunar Division and Bithol Games, and basically the premise of this game is that uh, you are a bunch of monks would maybe be the best description of what you are, and you live in a city side spaceship called the Auriga Vault. And it's mm -hmm. sort of like, it's sort of a spaceship, but it's also a monastery, and also a city full of fucked up guys. And what makes them so fucked up is that they are also escaping from a malign cosmic force of some description. It's never made fully clear what it is, but it definitely is going to eat you. And it's going to, and it is following you. And eventually, it might catch up to you. And you, obviously, being, fucked up, being the fucked up guys in question, don't want that to happen. Right. Now... To avoid this to avoid this malign cosmic force, you need to travel between stars, and with the and once and once you're within a particular star system, you're traveling from planet to planet. Now, uh, this is this is the sort of game where uh, travel between stars is not faster than light, so ships get there the slow way. And basically, the situation is that uh, to kind of exist within this spaceship for hundreds of years and then wake up. Uh, you need to get you need to get a thing called stasis, you know stasis juice, uh, the thing that they put in your cryogenic stasis chamber, and mm -hmm. to make that, you need to make it out of water, CO two, and titanium, because the Auriga Vault is pretty well equipped, but it's not self sufficient exactly. You still need to get resources and do stuff like that. Of course, uh, as you may have gathered from that ingredient list, if you inject yourself with water, CO two, and titanium and sleep for a few hundred years. Uh, that is going to be pretty demoralizing. Your your fucked up monks are going to start losing faith. And to fix that, you need elixir. And elixir, you make out of silicon methane. <laughs> and then you put people inside of a chamber where, through some arcane process, elixir is turned into faith that they have now. Uh, faith is kind of important because it helps your uh, because it helps your beautiful fucked up guys stand up to various hazards. It helps them like uh, it helps them like keep doing their job. It's just it's just generally good to have. You want your guys to be pretty happy and well, you don't want them to be happy exactly. It doesn't matter if they're you want happy. them to be faithful. 
Yeah. Faith is going to keep them working even when they're not happy, which I assume they're not. At least, like, the tone of the game indicates that they are very much not. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, beyond, the, beyond the elixir in question, you also need fuel. Now, the great thing about fuel is that it is just hydrogen and oxygen, so you can make it out of water in a pretty favorable conversion, right? And uh, so that means any planet you land on water, with water, bam, you can start turning down the fuel at a pretty rapid clip. Uh, then, of course, for building stuff, you'll need iron, titanium, and especially as alloys that are made out of iron and titanium, but also silica. Yeah, so that's uh, the recipe list for the basic ingredients there. And uh, you may wonder, what is, why do you need to do all this stuff? Why do you need to build this stuff? Why do you need to send vessels around the... Uh, why do you need to send little spaceships back and forth between planets to gather all this? The answer is, your beautiful boys, your fucked up guys, your little bunks, they need to chronicle their journey. They need to send word back home, wherever that is. And, but to do that, they can't just do that at any time. They need to land on what's called hallowed planets. <laughs> which are usually the innermost planet of a star system with like a rich atmosphere it's got like vast tracts of land it has uh often has some pretty neat neat artifacts in there and on e on a hot on a on a hallowed planet they need to build a scriptorium and inside the scriptorium they'll work on exactly a quarter of their chronicle and that's the win condition of the game. You build four Scriptoria and four star systems, and then you've won the game. Your your chronicle is done, and presumably your fucked up guys go on to lead uh, some kind of life out there. Maybe they keep running. Maybe they just let the malign force eat them. Who can say? And anyway, so this results in uh, what you might describe as a pretty sophisticated logistical chain. So, as mentioned, uh, to travel between planets to get all of these resources, you're going to need fuel. And this is fuel is con fuel is converted into travel between planets in the way that you might expect. You feed it into your ship's engines, and by ships I mean like little scout ships that you have. Uh, you feed them into your spaceships, and then they and then you engage in you know some good old fashioned orbital mechanics, where the game calculates what like transfer orbits are like, how do you land on planets, all of that. And you're gonna need to, but for you, the main points of concern are how much how much energy it's going to take to land on the planet, for example, and how much thrust it's going to take to land on the planet. Because some planets have higher gravity, so you need more thrust to land on them and take off from them. Some planets are, you know, further away, and you need more energy to get there to to go from one orbital level to another. And of course, some ships are just heavier than others, and they take more fuel to get somewhere. Fortunately, the game calculates all of this automatically with, via a delta-v calculation. Uh, basically, your job is to just get enough fuel to make it happen. So, you know, you can fool around with this. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as your guys are concerned, you tend to start with a, uh, shall we say, fairly conservative number of them. You have four guys. That's all you can animate at any given time. And you have to figure out how to distribute them between the three ships you start with. Uh, put appropriate engines on those ships so that they can get onto certain planets and get off of them, ideally. You can just leave them there if you want. They'll, it's fine. Well, not fine exactly, but, you know, they won't live, but they'll presumably have some kind of existence out there. And you have to get them onto the planets and ideally off of the planets as well within 30 turns, get all of them back to the ship. And you have, because 30 turns is what you get in each star system before the malign cosmic force in question arrives and eats you. And because, of course, there isn't any previous presence of your people in these star systems, you've got to construct the entire logistical chain of detail so far so that you can fly out. You need stasis for that. And ideally, you also need to write your chronicle for which you need elixir, stasis, alloys, and everything else. And, of course, each star system, you just have to do this all over again. And you can't do any of this on one planet, because no, not only does no, not, not only do all the planets have different resources, some of them might, not, might have silica and water, some of them might have, like, iron and methane, that kind of vibe. Uh, planets are going to have different resources, but also there's just not enough space on the planets to build everything you want, because your buildings have, uh, frankly, rather luxurious spatial footprints. And, yeah, so all of these things have their own size, and there's only so much space on the planets to build on. 
and in general there's uh and in general there's a lot of problems in arranging this logistical chain and that's not even getting into like the weird hazards like asteroid fields or radiation storms or something like that that your exiles are just gonna run into now and again and if if they have a bad time with it they might lose faith they might lose their turn something like that might happen and that's the basic gameplay of the game you're just gonna it's it's a lot of problem solving over the course of 30 turns Mm-hmm. And as you might expect, it's quite complicated, but also pretty satisfying to fool around with. Because on normal difficulty, you can just keep restarting as many times as you want in a given star system. You can mess around, you can figure out the correct rhythms, like figure out best practices, just basically as you go. You can fine-tune your approach, figure out your strategy, maybe, you know, you land the star system and go like, okay, yeah, this is how I get like an absolute embarrassment of stasis so that I can, uh, so that I don't need to do that in the next system and I can focus on building the scriptorium, that kind of vibe. And yeah, this it's very complicated and fiddly, but not too complicated. The solution is never so simple as to be immediately obvious, but at the same time, you can also just fuck around. You don't have to necessarily know what you're doing. And it's actually very well designed and balanced for this. I'm a compulsive optimizer, so I just uh, I just spent hours and hours fine-tuning my resource gathering to be like, uh, yeah, this is how I do this in like five... I, I visit five star systems and build four scriptoria. I don't even run into any of the worst hazards the game has for me. <laughs> because uh, Because I just love to optimize that much. And uh, this is a game that's going to... It's going to take that compulsion and really nurture it in you, you know? <laughs> Good. Yeah. And this is helped, of course, by the aesthetics. They are... Uh, th th this game is, dare I say, pretty grimly decorated. It's got, like, reverberating spacey groaning noises. It's got Catholic pronouncements and writings. Well, vaguely Catholic, not actually Catholic. Like, I don't think there's any references to God or anything. They're just, like, you know, aesthetically Catholic. Culturally Catholic, it's uh, it's a uh, and uh, in keeping with this kind of grim tableau I've been setting so far. This is there's just nobody else in the whole universe as far as you're concerned. Sometimes you can run into like an android or something, and recruit them to your uh, recruit them to your mission. As far as I know, and but overall, this just it's just kind of lonely. It's just you and your four guys or so. Or, you know, less if you left if you didn't have enough stasis for some of them and left them to presumably dry out and die on your spaceship across hundreds of years. Or get you know, eaten. Or get eaten, yeah. And your only companion in all of this is the horrible thing that's trying to follow you and eat you. Great. There are lots of ruins though. Lots of alien artifacts. You find alien artifacts, you can use them for research to build better stuff. And but ultimately there's just nobody really around. And yeah, it's it's kind of a meditative game as a result of that. It's eerie, it's uh it's eerie, it's atmospheric. It's uh it awakens your inner problem solver, so you do kind of feel like a like a little bit of an anchorite in it. Like, imagine if you if you were the sort of person who was like, man, being an anchorite sounds sick. I think you might enjoy this game in that case. <laughs> If you stare at this game for long enough, you, it just feels like a little bit like you can see through reality. <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna, you're just gonna have like fucking numbers going by your face, like you're, like you're Sherlock in that show. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be like that. You're gonna be like that lady from the meme. Yeah, fair enough. Honestly, <laughs> great times in short. Hell yeah. Well, I guess that leads us to my first game which is kind of in a similar vein. Um, it is in outer space. Uh, it's not... Uh, it's not a, a strategy game or a tactical game, but it is in space, and you do be going around facing many dangers. Uh, and that game is Lethal Company from Zekers, uh, which I know probably a lot of people are already familiar with since it has really, really popped off lately. Um, but it is a co-op, uh, survival horror game where you and up to three other, uh, crew members can, or not can, you have to 
uh, go to these moons where there are like ruins and old buildings and stuff like that and basically scavenge through them to find any sort of scrap that's in there and and scrap is kind of a loose term it ranges from like engines to like toys and uh like honky horns stuff like that um so it just depends and you need to get all this stuff get it back to the ship and then over the course of i think it's either three or four days uh you kind of rinse and repeat and then you can sell your stuff and you can technically sell your stuff whatever but the company like won't give you a hundred percent of the value until after that final day so mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense to do that unless you have like a ton of stuff and you're really worried about losing it um but yeah so you have a quota that you have to be and then any money that you make over the quota you get to keep and then you can use that to go to the company store to buy stuff like flashlights and walkie talkies um which obviously really help when you're going through dark scary buildings where there are monsters uh cuz there are multiple like creepy crawly thingies there's spiders there's head crabs there's these loot bugs that try to jump you for your stuff um and then on top of that also outside depending on what moon you're on there are also monsters and some of them only come out at night some of them are only out during the day some of them respond to movement some of them respond to sound um so it can be pretty pretty scary uh but it's also just like a really goofy ass game like for example the like arachnophobia setting for it instead of seeing spiders you just see the word spider in all caps like coming at you um which is very funny and then you um like the animations are just very silly and like ragdolly and you can just get into a bunch of goofy scenarios. I've had a lot of silly adventures with some of the people in a server that HB and I are both in. Um, and like sometimes you do great. Most of the time you get absolutely fucking wrecked. Um, and yeah, it's just been a silly, goofy, kind of scary time. So if you're looking for something to like play with friends and are into that kind of energy, I definitely recommend it. Wait, Ty, I have a question. Uh, you mentioned yes. the quota. What happens if I don't meet that? Let's say I'm a little, let's say I'm a little bitch, and I'm just like, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to um, go in there. I don't want to steal. I don't want to. S- I don't want to spoil the full what it is, but you are punished. Yeah. Okay, so no autonomy involved in this. You have to. do No, this. you have to do it. Otherwise, you are very severely punished. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, that's that's it's a pretty simple game. That's Lethal Company. Game good. Yeah. Like Phasmophobia, but if the capitalism vibes were made explicit. Yeah, and it's also scary in a different kind of way. It, like, it looks less realistic, but also the things run at you and get you and leave like you as like a smear of blood on the floor. Yeah. I mean, all the way I play Phasmophobia, it's usually, you know, if, if, if something is running at me, then I've already done my job wrong. I might as well submit. <laughs> yeah, no, in, in this game, like, oh, there's also like, usually, like, sometimes there will be turrets or mines, too, in there. So that's also fun when you walk into a room and you hear a beep and you look and there's a gun pointed at you. Yeah. Was it the great idea to uh, was the great idea to populate uh, uh, to populate our installations with autonomous guns? Guns? Impossible to say. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. But yeah, that's Lethal Company. What is your next game, HB? My next game? Well, it's a little game you may have heard of. It's called Caves of Cud. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Which comes from the not so long ago year of 2015. It's a roguelike by Freehold Games. It's uh, slated for full release in 2024, apparently, in association with Kid, with Kid Fox Games, who, who, well, this is just the thing they do now. They published Dwarf Fortress. They're going to publish this, too. They just take shit that people are obsessed with and have been developing on their own, and they're like, yeah, we'll publish it. Yeah. They get it out there. They put it in the hands of, uh, <laughs> they put it in the hands of a people. It's just an automatic slam dunk to find th- something that people are sickos about and be the guy who distributes it. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Dwarf Fortress people are rightly sickos about, and the same thing is true of Caves of Cud. So, to explain what this game is about, uh, in this game you play a wanderer who's arrived in a place called the Plateau of Cud, which is a post-apocalyptic ruin. Not post-post-apocalyptic, this is not a Signs of the Sojourner situation. Uh, this, this used to be a Sultanate of Godlike Power. This was a Sultanate of Godlike Power inhabited by people that in the game are known as the Eaters. Like, you know, the God Eaters, that kind of vibe. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, and they are, uh, and they were renowned for their technological sophistication. And, of course... I, love, uh, since... I thought you were gonna say, and they were renowned for eating gods. I don't think they ate any gods. They've definitely imprisoned at least one. Or, you know, they kind of they, they kind of ran a little prison operation where they were given like an extra dimensional horror to put into uh, uh, to put into their safekeeping. And that's one of the problems in this game that you'll eventually be uh, faced with. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Plateau of Cud is not quite what it used to be because most of its technology has been gone. The Sultanate has been dissolved. A lot of the wildlife is incredibly hostile and dangerous. And there are these things called the Seven Plagues that destroyed the aforementioned Sultanate, and they are obviously very much still around. Sometimes there's going to be a rain of frogmen, and those frogmen want to kill you. Uh, sometimes your tongue is going to rot and fall out. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes little guys will appear as though from nowhere and eat all of your uh, eat all of your salt grass, and then you'll starve to death. That's the kind of thing that happens in Cud. Damn, not my salt grass. All your damn salt grass is going to be gone. And, of course, uh, you may be wondering, where did the caves come into this? And I'm very glad you didn't ask that, because I'm about to tell you. Because the, the entire place is... Un the underground of this place is covered in ruins and caves that go on for what might as well be forever. Like, they go hundreds of stories down, it seems. And the deeper down you go, the worse stuff is going to be in there. You're going to start with, like, giant... It starts at giant worms and gets worse from there. That's how bad it is. Oh, good. Yeah. You just keep going down there and uh, classic adventure style. There's going to be uh, treasures, but more than that, there's going to be mortal danger. Uh, but you don't necessarily have to go in there a lot of the time. But on the surface, the problem is, is that uh, there's just a ton of salt water everywhere. All of the water on the surface is turned to salt. Or, like, is salty. And the thing about this game is that water is money. And you measure it in drams and carry it around to exchange for goods and services. <laughs> Which is, as you might imagine, extremely inconvenient and heavy. But it's not all bad. If you share your fresh water with someone, which is called the, uh, you know, the water ritual, it's a well-respected gesture that's uh, a great way of making friends in Cud. And uh, what can you make friends with, you may wonder? The answer is, a lot of things. So, it's sort of a setting where everything exists. Uh, there's sentient, there's sentient and sapient plants. There's a, a thing called newly sentient objects. Like sometimes you're gonna run into a door or something that's gonna start talking to you. Oh, okay. Through unexplained means, it's attained a mind. And uh, there's also interdimensional demons. There's little hyena guys. They're very cute. They're called snapjaws. Uh, there's mundane plants that might want to kill you, like uh, like big ol' Venus flytrap situations where you go into them and then they just grab you and start to digest you. As I mentioned, oh. there's giant worms, there's goat people, there's ape people, there's fungi. And the way that you ally with the fungi is not through the water ritual. You just let them grow on your face. Or your limbs, yeah. or your legs, or anything like that. You can, you can grow a different... horrifying. You can get a different fungal infection on each limb of your body. Also your torso. And each of those is going to increase your reputation with the fungi. <laughs> and decrease your reputation with the sapient plants, because they're ancestral enemies. Blood feud. Yeah. Chlor and that's going to be a problem. Feud. You are going to need to go and talk to the sapient plants at some point, so if you're too covered in fungus, that might be a problem. God, it's like in Prey when you have too much alien, and so all the turrets just immediately shoot the ever-living shit out of you. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Except except more political than that, weirdly enough. <laughs> anyway. It's like if the guns hated you because you were an alien. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, but you know, it's not all bad. Because of all the aforementioned incredibly godlike technology, you'll just find artifacts everywhere. 
Uh, you can also mutate if you you know if you're cool and you're playing a mutant. You'll just keep acquiring mutations that allow you to do things from like uh, uh, psychically contacting people, opening portals in space time, phasing through walls, growing extra arms, or you know just suddenly becoming very ugly for whatever reason. Uh, you can do you can do all kinds of stuff in here. It's a it's a very versatile system where you can you can fuck yourself up so bad in this game. <laughs> And even if you're not cool, and uh, you're playing like a non non mutated human, or like one of the true kin, you can implant yourself with horrible cybernetics instead, which is also cool, just less cool. And so, the end result of this is that you are in a uh, wild and wide and very pretty and confusing meat grinder of a roguelike, where you can just keep dying, dying for days. You can you can be killed by most anything out here. And uh, if you don't get killed, you will eventually become something completely unrecognizable from what you used to be. Because they're going to chop off your limbs and you're going to regrow new ones. Is that kind of fine? Oh. Wait, so that your, ship of, your ship of Theseusing yourself? Kind of, yes. <laughs> Especially if you're doing like a lot of fighting or something like that. Because you're just going to keep accumulating those injuries in various ways. And, there's, and more mutations and more everything, really. And yeah, there's uh, you can just keep killing lots of enemies. There's such a diversity of enemies in this game. Uh, you can make a lot of friends. Most anything you can kill, you can also make friends with to some extent. <laughs> because it's uh, because the reputation system is very robust. Like uh, sapient plants and regular plants have their <laughs> count as their own separate factions in the game. Same thing with like highly entropic beings and, and stuff like that. Highly entropic beings, by the way, are like those interdimensional demons I was talking about. So if you're a psychic, sometimes they'll show up and try to kill you. <laughs> and uh, because of the way that reputation works, often when you make friends with one thing, you you know decrease your reputation with another. The fungus, the fungus example is pretty good in that sense because, for example, if you ally with the uh, if you ally with the little hyena guys, then uh, they unfortunately have a nasty habit of killing most other people. So you're going to become less of a friend to them than to everybody else instead. It's a, it's that kind of situation. But it doesn't really make you go a certain way for the most part. Uh, but the thing is, with all that I described, it's not really the meat grinder that pulled me to the game. It's more that there's a there was a recent addition to it, like maybe like a year, maybe like two years ago, I want to say, which is called mm -hmm. Wander Mode, which becomes like it becomes a completely different sort of game. So, Wander Mode is uh, pitched as a sort of an easier mode, where, uh, where the idea is that most enemies don't try to attack you. You're just not treated as hostile to most enemies. Uh, mm -hmm. Though they, you know, they'll still be killing each other, depending on what their allegiances to each other are. Mm. And despite the fact that Cud is very dangerous, you'll be able to go through it mostly unharmed by a lot of the wildlife. Now... Some enemies will still try to kill you, and that's what makes this more interesting than it, than it perhaps sounds. You're not just wandering through, you're also sometimes going to get into various scrapes. Like a carnivorous plant might try to eat you. Uh, some weird guys will still try and shoot you. Uh, interdimensional mosquitoes will still drink all of your blood. And you remember when I mentioned that extra-dimensional horror? If you're a psychic, uh, its servants are going to try and seek you out and absorb you. Oh. Yeah, and uh, you can also optionally have like uh, you can also you can optionally have some, uh, what the game calls flaws. That's uh, I think they're called flaws, where you can get a you can you can get a little thing that you uh, that's going to make your life a little more difficult. For example, having an evil twin out there somewhere who'll just periodically <laughs> turn up and try to kill you. But for the most part, you're not going to be doing much fighting, and you obviate the lion's share of the game's combat mechanics as a result. Except for, like, very specific scenarios where you're going to suddenly be in incredibly mortal danger and be afraid for your life. Oh, God. And that's just such an incredible vibe. Like, uh, like the thing about Caves of Cud is that it is a roguelike that has enough confidence in the aesthetics it's putting forward that you can just... It just it's just perfectly content to let you vibe in what they've created. Like... And the beautiful thing is that the confidence they have in their setting is absolutely deserved. It's a it's a beautiful setting, despite the it's it's a top down roguelike, and the and the aesthetics are like fairly bare bones. It's not like it's not like incredibly obviously and immediately pretty, but mm -hmm. it's that the prose is is incredible. There's just like constant uh, constant dungeon synth being piped into your ears, 
and like very good dungeon synths too. And there's a, and despite the fact that it's often wonderful and relaxing and has like incredible music, there's always that sense of like, well, maybe like uh, maybe like my psychic enemies are gonna suddenly show up and try to kill me, and then I'll have to run. <laughs> But usually it's unexpected, startling, and actually genuinely much more likely to kill you than if you were just doing the full meat grinder that the game provides in the standard modes. Mm -hmm. And like I was playing an I was playing an Esper as the game describes them, and the idea was that uh, the idea was that as I grew more powerful, I was just they were just appearing around every corner. <laughs> God. I was just dodging people, hunting me all the time. I was encountering fucked up dimensional anomalies, and I had a flaw that sometimes when I fired off my, uh, sometimes when I fired off my psychic abilities, I would just suddenly develop a space-time vortex in my immediate vicinity, <laughs> and I would sometimes fall into that vortex and wind up like hundreds of levels underground. Because <laughs> it, because the thing about the space-time vortex is that it moves you to a random place on the map, and it's just wonderful. It was it was it was such an adventure, because I would just keep finding myself in bad places and try to bail as quickly as I could. Where I would, I would fall into one space time vortex and be like, ah, oh, fuck, and then I would open another one and try to jump into that, and it wouldn't land me anywhere better, but it would feel like progress. <laughs> and the wonderful thing is, another thing that Wander Mode really lets you explore is that there is a main plot in this game, and it's really good. Like, this game has such wonderful set pieces to show you. It's got, uh, it's got, it's got some fun characters to run into along the way. A very impressive landscape and interesting world concept in general to explore here. And for me, who is, like, you know, very into RPGs but not that much into roguelikes, Wonder Mode, like, really made this game accessible to me. Yeah, and, like, that makes sense. The really unique post-apocalypse that it's depicting. And it's uh, and as a result, it's one of my favorite RPGs I've ever played because one of the things that often annoys me about RPGs is that they make you like kill millions of people to like get to the story. Yeah, fair enough. And if you play Wander Mode in this, it'll just it just has like a much more natural sense of urgency about it, and like a much more pleasant vibe of exploration. Just uh, honestly, people should play this. If you don't like roguelikes, try this. If you like roguelikes, well, you probably know about this already. But, you know. Try it. Try it anyway. Yeah. And if you have tried it, try it again. <laughs> Keep trying. It's great. And it might see a full release soon. Yeah, I bet that'll be cool to see it, like, content complete. Yeah. But yeah, Ty, what's your next game? Uh, so my next game is Scene Investigators from EQ Studios, which is a quote-unquote hardcore deductive reasoning games for fan of the fans of the true crime genre. And so the basic premise is that you're some kind of investigator for we don't know for somebody and you're you're apply you're applying for like some mysterious agency and so they're putting you through a series of tests to prove that you have like what it takes and so each test is a crime scene that or just like they're not all crime scenes some of them are just like rooms in a house or whatever um and you have a series of questions that you're asked and then based on the scene that you're in, you have to investigate and find clues and interact with different objects to figure out the answers to the questions. Like you'll enter a room and it'll be like, who, you know, entered the room from this this entrance or like who how many times did this person come into the house within the, this week or something like that or like. Uh, a kid was supposed to be picked up, which parent got them, that kind of thing. Um, and so then based on, like, if you find a cell phone, you can look through the call logs, things like that. You can use even stuff like if there's a newspaper or a magazine, sometimes that can give you context clues to some of the questions or other things that you other questions that come up because you're trying to find the answer to the questions you were given. Um, and some of them. I will say I don't know how you're supposed to get the answer to. Like there was one specifically where we were asked for the name of a person and I don't know how we were supposed to have found the name, even though we knew who like 
who the guy in general was. We had no idea how we were supposed to have found his name. Um, but that being said, you can pass even if you don't get all the questions right. You just have to hit a certain like threshold of correct answers. So even if you don't find everything, you can still be okay. Um, and the nice thing yeah. too is like you're graded and then after you've done the case, you can go back and like do it again to try to get a better grade if you want. Um, so yeah, it's it's a fun, cool little mystery game if you're into that i am a mystery sicko so i definitely have been having fun with it um i will say it definitely does not have a trigger warning when it should because like it is dealing with like some pretty serious topics of crimes like murder obviously but there's like a lot of abuse and like conversations about like drugs and stuff like that um so just like be prepared like it is a true crime game in that sense where it's going to cover like all of that kind of stuff so just be prepared. And yeah. Uh yeah, that's all I've got for it. It's pretty fun. Yeah. You just go you just go in there and have yourself a little lurid crime show experience. Yeah. You get to be the true detective. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the true detective, but you know, you can uh, if if for example you try to you try to do some I don't know. <laughs> you do some haruspacy and you figure out that this guy that the guy's name who came in here was such and such. Yeah, I still, I truly don't know how we were supposed to find that. And I was playing with, like, two other people who I would argue are, like, better at these kind of games than me, and none of us could figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, maybe you're expected to judge on vibes. Does this, like, does this man look, uh, <laughs> like, does this man look like a George? Yeah, I don't know. There, it does mention that you have to, like, make some leaps in logic based on like your deductions or whatever but like again i don't know how you do that with someone's name uh but yeah that's that's it um yeah hp where can people find you well i'm very glad you asked you can find the games that i work on on gm36.itch.io where so many hot and beautiful games are waiting for you at the price of free you can't even imagine the bounty that's waiting for you these are tabletop games by the way not indie video games i should be clear about that but Fair, you know yeah. if, if you're into that am i the freak for you hell yeah uh you can find me on everything at a woth keeper and you can find the podcast at Mindy Indie Mixtape Podcast. And also check out Moonshot. That is the network that we are now on. So, uh, yeah, check it out. There's a lot of cool, fun shows on there. And, yeah, that's going to do it for this time. We'll see you next time for more indie games. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.